A big thank you to the many of you who came out to help decorate for Christmas. This is an important holiday for us as believers, as we remember light coming into the world, Christ coming to rescue. And so anything we can do to help make that special, we're really thankful for. Uh, we are going to continue this week our study in Isaiah, and then the next two weeks we'll be looking at the scripture behind two beloved Christmas carols. Uh, Utah and I will be doing that for the next two weeks in the lead up to Christmas. And then we'll have our Christmas Eve service, and on December 25th we'll have our, uh, it's a Sunday, so we'll be gathering. What a, what a great thing to do on Christmas Day when it's on the Lord's Day to gather together. So we'll encourage you, it'll be a lighter, more, uh, more festive service, but encourage you to prioritize that. And for our Christmas Eve service or any of these uh, upcoming services, we'd really encourage you to be praying and thinking about who's someone you might want to be able to invite out to those services so they can hear the good news of Jesus and the true reason for Christmas. But for this week, we are in Isaiah 42, so I invite you to open there. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you or you don't know where to find that, you can use the Bible in the rack in front of you that looks like this, and it's on page 602 page 602 of the Bible in the pew racks. And uh, we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. So would you join us as I read Isaiah 42? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prison from, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to Yahweh a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kidar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to Yahweh and declare his praise in the coastlands. Yahweh goes out like a mighty man, 
Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who's blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of Yahweh? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Yahweh was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not Yahweh? against whom we've sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey. So he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated as we pray. Father, thank you for your word. We have heard it read. Even as we've heard it, there's certain things that have struck us, but there's also things we don't yet understand. So together we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit that we might hear your word, that what you have here in Isaiah 42 would be brought to bear to our hearts and minds. So, Father, move by your Spirit in our midst. May this not be a lecture. May this be us together with the help of your Spirit understanding your word. Amen. There is a song our souls sing from the dungeon. From the dungeon. God had magnified his law to us, shown us its glory, and we'd spurned it. 
For a while, we'd managed to escape the prison, and our song was fairly benign. Life's good enough. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But eventually, our rebellion against our Creator catches up to us. And the life we thought was so freeing and so worthwhile, it collapses. And we realize the dungeon we've made for ourselves. It feels like we're trapped in a hole. And we reel from the heavy hand of Yahweh upon us. And arising from that, there is a song our souls sing from that dungeon. I'm not talking about the cry of repentance. I'm, I'm talking about a cry of despair. I'm trapped in a dark place. And I, need, I see no hope for light. It's a dark and bitter song. For any of you who are singing that song, for any of us who will one day sing that song, for all who have sung that song, our passage this morning promises us a new song. How? How, you ask? How can Yahweh, whose very hand is causing our misery, how can he replace our dark song? Our rebellion was against him and his law. How can he be the one who offers us a new song? Our passage will tell us in verses 1 to 9 offer the first critical clue. I've labeled verses 1 to 9, the servant enables a new song. The servant enables a new song, verses 1 to 9. And in verse 1, Yahweh introduces us to his chosen servant. Listen to it. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him, he'll bring forth justice to the nations. As we've been going through Isaiah, we've talked about Isaianic clues, clues that Isaiah gives us. He loves to write that way, where he teases in these little, I'm going to give you a hint of what's to come, and this is one of those Isaianic clues a tease of what the true solution is without giving the whole. You might remember when we were starting Isaiah, one of his clues related to this idea of a branch or a root. So it was introduced in chapter 4, and then revisited in chapter 6, and then again in chapter 11. Well, this begins a whole new series of clues clustered around the ideas, the idea of a special but undisclosed mysterious 
servant. A servant who is spirit-filled. A servant who is chosen and favored by Yahweh. A servant who brings justice. Now, I want you to see how this idea of the servant links back up with the idea of the branch that began Isaiah. So look at at, at chapter 11. Just turn a few chapters back to chapter 11. Just verse 1 there, 1 through 4. These were his clues about the branch, the shoot. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, and his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He shall not judge by what his eye sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. You see how a lot of that language is very similar. There's a clue about a branch. There's a clue about a servant. Isaiah is building on the concept. He loves his clues. And this set of servant clues that begin here is going to culminate in that famous chapter, chapter 53 of Isaiah. There can be a bit of confusion when it comes to Yahweh talking about his servant. Because though this idea of the servant is clustered here, starting in chapter 42 and going through 53... It's not the first time he talks about a servant. Back in chapter 20, he talks about a servant, and it's the prophet Isaiah. Then in chapter 22, it's a guy named Eliakim. Then in chapter 37, it's David. And then just last week in chapter 41, it referenced Cyrus. Later in our chapter, it's going to refer to Israel. My servant, who is it? So in Isaiah, servant clearly doesn't refer to kind of one monolithic figure. It's not a technical term for a certain person or nation. But just because Isaiah applies it lots of different ways doesn't mean he's being sloppy or dodgy. Because it's actually fairly easy to tell who he's referring to when. So from this point on, all the way up through chapter 53, the servant section, he'll be referring either to Israel or to the mysterious rescuer. So sometimes he'll refer to his chosen servant as someone who's blind and in need of rescuing. Other times he'll refer to his servant as someone who's righteous and who does the rescuing. When you hear the first, he's talking about Israel. When you hear the second, he's talking about this mysterious servant rescuer. 
And he's intentionally using the same term for both because he wants to link those two things in our minds. The one servant is rescued by the other servant. The one servant is closely associated with the other servant. And in one sense, the rescuing servant accomplishes what the nation servant was supposed to accomplish. So it's not slop that leads Isaiah to refer to these two terms interchangeably. It's actually profound theology. It's a little aside. I know I made you do a little work there, but as we're getting into the servant section, I wanted to set that out there. Here in verses 1 and 9, it's clearly referring to that mysterious servant rescuer. It's linked to the branch from chapter 11. But here's where I really want you to tune in. Listen to the gripping way he's described in verses 2 and 3. It's Yahweh's servant, his branch. He'll not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he'll not break. A faintly burning wick will not quench. So for the blind, for the deaf, for people trapped in dungeons, stuck in holes, can you relate to the servant, to what he does for us? I want us to know that Yahweh's servant comes gently, tenderly. He comes to a stable. He comes to a feeding trough. He's adored by lowly shepherds. He's raised a carpenter. His adult life, he spends homeless. He's single. And his ministry prioritizes lepers, lowly fishermen, adulterous women, tax collectors, and the unclean. And when he's eventually unjustly executed, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, if those whose souls are singing songs of despair from the dungeon can possibly have their soul changed, it will be because of someone like this. Someone who can sympathize with us in our weakness. Someone who is gentle and lowly. But that's not to say he's weak. Look at verse 4. 
picking up at the end of the verse three, three, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He's going to bring justice to the whole earth and his blessings will flow as far as the ends of the earth. The coastlands themselves will be waiting for his rule. He is the branch from David, the mighty king of the earth from Isaiah chapter 9. But he comes gentle and lowly for the meek, for the hurting, for the downtrodden, for those whose song is bitter. Now here Isaiah is 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And yet when Yahweh issues this prophecy, he says he's going to stake his reputation on the fact that this servant will come. And verses 5 to 9 make it clear that this is Yahweh staking his reputation upon this. In verse 5, we see how the Creator God is the one speaking. And then in verses 6 to 9, we hear the Creator God's words as, as, the, as the Father speaking to His eternal Son. His servant. And his servant will be righteous. His servant will walk hand in hand with him, lockstep. His servant will embody God's covenant to the peoples. And you see there in verse 6 at the end, he will be a light to the nation. And then in verse 7, and this is, this is the key for why we can bring a new song, or why he can bring a new song. It says, he opens the eyes of the blind. He brings the prisoners out of the dungeon. And he brings light to those stuck in darkness. Now, there are many who are blind but boast that their sight is clear. There are many who are imprisoned but boast at their liberty. There are many in darkness who love the lies that darkness enables. But when we come to see our blindness, when we come to realize how imprisoned we are by our flesh, when we come to see how dark our lives are, this servant comes to offer us a way out. He gives us a way of escape. Isaiah's only dropping hints right now, and it won't be until Isaiah chapter 53 that he explains how this transaction will work, that the servant will actually take our penalty upon himself. But here it's enough to see that the servant delivers us from the kingdom of darkness into his light. He gives sight to the blind. 
And as verse 4 and verse 6 make clear, this is a promise to all nations. So I ask you, does your soul need a new song to sing? If so, Yahweh's servant offers you a path. He offers you hope. Your song of despair can be replaced with a new song. And then verses 8 and 9, Yahweh's making clear that he is staking his own reputation as the creator God upon this happening. 700 years before the coming of Jesus, he says, it will happen. He's not a God like the fake idols of this world. I remember last week when Stephen was preaching, he challenged us to consider our idols and see if they can make these kinds of promises to us. Can our bank account or our houses or our business cards, even our family, can can they make these kind of promises to us? And yet, the true creator God promises a servant, his servant, who will come and rescue us. Verse 9, he he says, look, through Isaiah, I promised judgment, and that's come, hasn't it? Now, those things have come to pass. Now, I promise something new. This day of rescue through his servant is something new. And it's, it's like Stephen talked about last week in pool. I'm, I'm calling the shot. That ball, that pocket. I'm calling the shot beforehand so you'll know it's not an accident. And of course, it's exactly what happened. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That the light has come. The rescuer has come. It's why we celebrate Easter. God called the shot. He staked his reputation on it and he delivered so unlike the idols. So verses 1 to 9 tell us how the servant enables a new song. How do we respond? How do we respond to that? And that's where verses 10 to 12 answer that. Verses 1 to 9 are the servant enables a new song. Verses 10 to 12 are the new song. 10 to 12, the new song. Up until this point, it's been Yahweh's voice telling us of his coming servant. But now we hear a new voice. It's the prophet, and he's summoning us to sing. Have you ever been in a uh, seemingly impossible situation? only to be rescued. I was fairly recently. I had allowed the hose to be attached to my outdoor tap just a little bit too long. And one night the freeze was going to come and so I went to unscrew it and I couldn't get it unscrewed. So I got my kind of gentle wrench and worked on it. I couldn't get it unscrewed and I'm a stubborn guy. So I went and got my vice grips, clamped them down, put a bunch of torque on that thing, and the copper pipe just burst. 
Now, you might not believe this, but whoever built my house didn't put a shutoff inside. There's no way to shut off the water. So the only way I can, to that tap, so the only way I can shut off the water is to shut off the water to the whole house. Meanwhile, I have an elders meeting that night. It's been a bit of a stressful day, and my wife is in the middle of making dinner. She's just dredged the chicken when I shut the water off. Not a great timing, not great timing. I'm going, what do I do? So I call my plumber, willing to fork out the money, call my plumber. He's like, yeah, we're on another job. We're not going to be able to get there. So I call somebody else, a brother in the church, uh, to get his recommendation for a plumber. He's like, I don't have one. (laughs) I go, oh my, this is going bad. And then that same brother calls back a few minutes later and says, I'll be by in just a bit. He comes in, he, he cuts off the pipe, he solders on a cap, makes sure it's secure, and within an hour, got the water back flowing through the house and, uh, and, the, and the situation remedied. You can imagine how I felt Hearts welling up with thanksgiving. So thankful for this brother who's helped me. Well, there is a far, far greater rescue in Christ. And it calls for a far, far greater praise. And so when we've heard about this servant who comes and takes us out of our darkness, takes us out of our blindness, and restores us to light and to sight, then Isaiah comes along and says, we got to praise God. And so at the beginning and end of verses 10 and 12, that's what we're told, the content of this song. It is a song of praise. And then in the middle We're told who is singing the song. So yes, Yahweh's servant is a covenant for the peoples. He is a light for the nations. If it's for the nations, then who's singing the song? You see it in the middle there, 10 10 through 12? It's the whole earth. The coastlands and the deserts and everywhere in between. Kedar with its Arabian nomads. Selah, where the rival Edomites live. It's from the sea all the way to the mountains. Now this doesn't mean that every human on earth will know Yahweh's salvation and will join in the song. But it does mean that Yahweh's salvation is open to all nations And that some from every nation will be joining in that song. Have you ever watched those scenes from liberated Europe as the allied forces came through? Streets are are crowded. Every culture expresses themselves a little bit differently. But there is a pulsating energy celebrating the brave soldiers who've come and rescued them. You don't get any sense that it's kind of this obligated, hail, hail the mighty conqueror. We have to say this because you're great and you're in charge now. 
No, it's a joyous celebration. Singing a new song instead of singing the song of capture and oppression. They're singing a song of deliverance and freedom as their, air, as they, as their lungs feel the, the air of freedom. It's a song of those who are blind but now can see. Here in Isaiah, the song of those who are imprisoned but are now free. It's the song of sinners who are now forgiven. So Isaiah is urging us to sing in light of the new thing that God has done in our land. Isaiah urges us to sing it because instead of judgment and exile, which we deserved and which we got, God is now bringing rescue and restoration. Now Isaiah's call for us to sing this new song gives way to a second description of the forthcoming rescue that Yahweh will bring. Now this second description is particular to the nation of Israel. But given the context of the nations, it's clearly being held out as paradigmatic for how God works. So we're going to call this third section, verses 13 to 25, Yahweh's grace enables a new song. Yahweh's grace enables a new song, verses 13 to 25. Now I want us to remember the setting. Israel had just come off that wretched season of Assyrian oppression. In the wake of that, they've just heard news through the prophet of a coming Babylonian oppression that will actually be far worse because the southern tribes will go into exile, torn from their lands, forced to leave Jerusalem. Now, both of these invaders, we know, are instruments of God to judge Israel for her sin. It was warranted. They were getting what they deserved, but that didn't make it or the prospect of it any less miserable. But they're being told eventually God's going to say, enough. Verse 13 announces it. And then Yahweh himself speaks in verses 14 to 20. He is going to rise up, cry out, something major is coming. He's going to come and he's going to act on behalf of his people. In the near term, he'll be using Cyrus the Persian to rescue them from their Babylonian exile and return them to Jerusalem. But in the far and more profound term, through his servant, he's going to deliver them in a far more profound way. And he says he's going to come out before them like a blazing fire that clears everything in their path, leveling their way, getting rid of the water. I'm going to be able to pass right, walk right into Jerusalem. Look at the end of verse 16. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. God is committed to this rescue. But even as he describes how he's going to rescue them, 
there's an observation I think so important to see. What is the state of the people when they are rescued? What is the state of the people when they're rescued? Listen to Yahweh. He says, they are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messengers whom I send? Who's blind as my dedicated ones? Or blind as the servant of Yahweh? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. You see the state of the people when they're rescued? I don't care whether you call yourself a Calvinist or Arminian. I don't care whether you wave the flag for free will or for predestination. I don't care whether you love debating the order salutis or not, but I do care that you agree with this. God rescues us when we are blind. God's salvation comes not when it's merited, but when we are still rebels when we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means, hear me, God is not, I don't want you to hear me, I want you to hear Isaiah, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. God is not sitting around waiting for you to get yourself out of the hole just far enough that now he can reach you. God's not sitting around waiting for you to be Baptist enough or good enough, or decent enough. And then, once you've proven yourself, he'll save you. No. He comes to us when we're blind, when we're clinging to our idols. Now again, this, this is specifically to Israel at that time. He'd chosen that particular nation to be a city on a hill, and instead of responding to that, they'd become deaf and blind. But what he's showing here in how he treats Israel is paradigmatic for all of us to see. His salvation must be by grace and grace alone. Unless we miss the point, the prophet himself reiterates it at the end of the chapter in verses 21 to 25. So Yahweh was pleased within the people of Israel to magnify his law. Through Moses, he gave it to them. The mountain shook and, and fire consumed, and then they were entrusted with the very oracles of God. But instead of being what they were called to, a veil fell over their eyes, as 2 Corinthians 3 describes. Instead of living in the light of God's law, they ran from it. And so God brings judgment upon them. And even though he brings judgment, they remain hardened. The, the little punishments he gives don't bring about return. So he brings bigger punishments. And the bigger punishments don't bring about reform either. 
So when God tells his preachers in chapter 40 to bring the message, comfort, comfort my people, it's not because they finally woken up, realized their plight, and turned to him. No, it's because our creator is gracious. And we can't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean everybody embraces God's rescue. We'll read on in Isaiah and it'll become clear that some will so love the darkness that even when the servant comes, the veil will remain. They'll choose the darkness instead of the light. But God does not wait until we inch just close enough to the light before he rescues He reaches into our hole, into our dungeon, into our darkness. And he snatches us out. So God's word to Israel teaches us how God's salvation works by grace. All of grace. As the old hymn puts it, all the fitness that he requires is to feel your need for him. So it's God's grace that enables a new song, verses 13 to 25. Now some of you here in this room have already known God's rescue. The the dark world of sin had its tentacles around us and God's servant delivered us. We were once blind, but by God's grace now we see. If that is us, let us sing with joyous celebration the song of deliverance. Let's dance and sing for joy. Praise our God. Others in this room have yet to feel the darkness enclose around you. You still think forging your own path apart from God is a pretty safe and viable course. Eh, The creator, he doesn't really need to be listened to. I know he's there, but I'm good and decent enough in the world's eyes to keep going. I think it's likely that the day is going to come when the darkness will enclose around you. And when that day comes, I hope you will remember God's words in Isaiah 42, that he's gracious and he can rescue. And then there are some in this room right now who are feeling the weight of the imprisonment. You know exactly what I mean when I talk about our soul having a song we sing from the dungeon. You know about the suffocating darkness that leaves our soul with only despair to sing, with no sense of hope. And I so want you to hear the words of Isaiah 42, because The creator God can give you a new song. 
He stakes his reputation on it 700 years before he calls a shot. And his servant doesn't crush the bruised reed. He doesn't quench the faintly burning wick. He simply comes into this world to rescue sinners. He simply comes to give sight to the blind. And it's all of grace. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. Will you open your heart to him? Will you allow him to rescue you? Will you allow him to replace your song of despair with a song of joy? Let's pray. Father, I don't know all the ways your spirit works. But I pray right now you would be calling people to your light out of darkness and despair to joy and freedom. And Father, for any in this room who know what it's like to be rescued, may our joy be rekindled. May our song be one of hope and light and joy. And as we come to your table now, to, to remember what Christ has done for us, to celebrate that, may our hearts well up with appropriate joy. In Christ's name. Amen.